All right. Um, we're going to dismiss our kids now. And before we do, uh, we're going to begin transitioning this transition. Uh, over the next couple of weeks, you're going to notice that the first slide that comes up is going to have the arrows, and we're going to start communicating that way so that when I step up, I can just dive right into the message. And, and you'll need to communicate that, especially with our guests as they come in, that when they see that slide, that's when they can go. But I'll go ahead and dismiss our preschoolers. Our preschoolers are going to head this way uh, with Miss Jeannie and Miss Kathy. I believe today is our kindergarten first and second graders that are going to head out this way with Miss Becky uh, and her team. Uh, Miss Laura and Miss Becky are going this way. So preschoolers, you're this way. Kindergarten first and second graders, you are this way. Cadence is going to come up here. And our third, fourth, and fifth graders, uh, if you wouldn't mind coming up this way and grab your packets. Our third, fourth, and fifth graders can grab their packets. Chief, it's good to see you. Um, and so, all right, so preschool, kindergarten, first and second graders, and then our third, fourth, and fifth graders can come up and grab your packets. I do have a handful of, of announcements this morning just because there's a lot going on, and I want to make sure I do draw your attention to your handout. Uh, you can read a lot of those. Remember about next weekend and the time change. I do want to make sure that we invite you to our midweek service. Our midweek service is growing. Uh, God is doing some neat things as we emphasize this Route 66 journey, uh, as we walk through an overview of each book of the Bible, but also as we have a time of prayer, as we're praying for one another, as we're praying for our church, as we're praying for the churches in our community, as we're praying for our communities, we're praying for what God wants to do in and through this place in the days, weeks, and months to come. You'll notice in the handout that we have a senior adult revival coming up. Uh, I'm excited about that. My my friend, my former pastor, Tim Williams, from uh, our church in the New Orleans area is going to be with us. That's going to start Sunday evening, March the 21st. It's going to start here. It's going to, each uh, time is going to last about an hour and 15 minutes. Uh, Jan Freeman, who has been with us before, she'll be leading our worship. Uh, it's just going to be a wonderful time uh, of, of, of worship. Uh, and we're going to be diving into the book of Jeremiah as, as the study and the emphasis for that week is live faithful. And so it'll start here on that Sunday evening. On Monday, we'll be at First Baptist Melbourne. On Tuesday, we'll be at Bow Gardens Baptist Church. And then on Wednesday, we'll be back here. And each of the mornings is at 10.30. And the exciting thing about the uh, Wednesday morning is that it's not just going to have a little bit of worship and uh, a message, but we're also going to have Wes Hampton back. Wes Hampton is a member of the Gaither Vocal Band, and he is going to be with us to do a concert that morning. And I'm super excited about him being with us. It's just going to be a great opportunity, a great time. Uh, another, just so that you'll know, you may have noticed there's a bright, there's a couple of bright yellow shirts right here. Uh, it is Florida Disaster Relief Day, and uh, this is Chris and Pat, and they are a part of the disaster relief. I think uh, Kathy and Ken are also part of that team. Um, the training for to be a part of Florida Disaster this year is going to be in DeLand, and that's going to be on May the 1st. Uh, they help you train if you want to be a part of disaster relief for when it hits our state and others. If you would like to be involved, if you want to be a part of that incredible ministry, you can talk to, to Chris or Miss Pat, or you can talk to 
Ken or Kathy and get the information on that or feel free to call the church office and we'll point you in the right direction. Uh, as always, I just want to encourage you to continue to be faithful in the giving of your tithes and offerings. Um, we are excited about the week ahead of us. Um, this week, because of our God-sized offering that we took last fall, uh, this Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, we have the opportunity to love on Hoover Middle School and the teachers and the, and the administration quite specifically. We're going to be providing them, just we're going to be loving on them in a couple of different ways. We'll hopefully have a little bit of a video of that this week, but it's because of your, um, your giving, your graciousness that we are going to be able to serve them and love on them in an incredible way this week. If you've got your Bibles, if you will turn to Mark chapter 7, the gospel of Mark chapter 7, if you are using the scripture journals, uh, which we still have some that are available to you, uh, you can see Karen, if you're looking through those, it's on page 36. If you are using one of the Bibles that is in the chair around you, I think it's on page 893. But Mark chapter 7, as we continue our journey through the gospel of Mark. While you're turning there, the last thing I want to say about the, the tithes and the offerings, uh, they enable us to do the ministry that God has called us to do here. Um, but oftentimes we need to do a little bit something else. And so you'll notice in your handout that we've scheduled a handful of work days. Um, there are some major and some minor things that need to happen on our campus. Our campus uh, has stood the test of time, um, but it is weathered. In the days ahead, we we're going to have to do some major things that I'm going to be talking to you about. As a matter of fact, I can go ahead and tell you that one of the, one of the things that we are focusing on right now, we have started the wheels in motion. Uh, we know that we need to put some bathrooms in the back. We need to put some bathrooms. Well, it would be the front, but it would be the back. You understand. Um, because it is just, it's tough to tell guests that the bathrooms are all the way up here because everybody feels like when they get up in the service and walk forward that everybody's looking at them and they might as well wave and go hi. <laughs> so what we would like to do is we are trying to figure out the best way possible to put some bathrooms in the back, whether it's by building an annex from the sanctuary to the preschool building or whether it's putting them underneath the balcony, whatever we are doing, that is a priority. That's going to take some some resources. That's going to take some resources uh, that are above and beyond, and we'll get there as we as we do more homework. But there are some things on this campus that we can do with our own hands. Even me, there are some things that we can do with our own hands uh, around this campus. And so we are putting together some work days. They're going to be organized accordingly, so that not everybody shows up and we wonder what everybody's going to have going to get to do. So we're going to organize those. But if you could be a available. Even I can hold a ladder while somebody else does the real work. So if I can come and hold a ladder, I promise you too can serve in some sort of capacity. But just want to highlight that because when we do things like that, we are, we are giving glory to God. Uh, when we take care of our campus, when we treat it with excellence, uh, we are showing this community that we believe that he is worth it. And that is what our testimony is. Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. I'm going to be starting with verse 14. If you are physically able, I encourage you to stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word. Mark chapter 7, starting with verse 14. Summoning the crowd again, he told them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand 
Nothing that goes into a person from outside can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. When he went into the house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him about the parable. He said to them, are you also as lacking in understanding? Don't you realize that nothing going into a person from the outside can defile him, for it doesn't go into his heart, but into the stomach and is eliminated. Thus, he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of people's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil action, deceit, self-indulgent, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a person. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, my rock and my redeemer. Father, may I decrease so that you might increase and may we conclude our time today more like you than when we started because we have been in your presence. We have heard your voice and we have been changed by your word. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. If you would, as you're being seated, start back with me at chapter 6. At chapter 6, verse 53. Chapter 6, verse 53. I lost my toy. I had a toy. Is it over there? Oh, it is. Thanks, man. Chapter 6, verse 53. It says, When they had crossed over, they came to the shore at Gennesaret and anchored there. And as they got out of the boat, people immediately recognized him. They hurried throughout the region and began to carry the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he went, into villages, towns, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch just the end of his robe. I think somebody shared her story. I think somebody's life was changed by Jesus, and she couldn't keep it to herself. Why else would all these other people in towns and surrounding villages think to themselves, it was a part of the pagan culture, but they didn't, you wouldn't believe something unless you'd seen it. Why else would they believe unless somebody who had a testimony was sharing it? Our community can't believe unless they're told. And they cannot be told if we're not the ones doing the telling. And everyone who touched it was healed. And then chapter 7, verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him. Cindy, if you'll put that map up there real quick. I got a new toy I'm really excited about. Because it can do this. It can, it can annoy people. It's really fun. All right. So this... This is where we are. We're, we're at Gennesaret, and we're right here. Jerusalem is right around here. And so what's happening is that Jesus is going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, and kind of this way. He's doing this trip back and forth to the crowds, but Jerusalem's right around here, and this is sort of the headquarters of what is going on with the Pharisees and the religious leadership. And so Jesus is up here at the Gennesaret. If I'm saying that incorrectly, I'll, I'll correct myself later. But what happens is they decide, the religious leadership decide that they need to come on up because the time for playing's over. 
they've, they've let the, the other religious leaders kind of try to handle this, but it's time for the big boys to show up. It's time, for, it's time for the guys in charge because Jesus is starting to really cause a problem. Not only is Jesus starting to cause a problem, but it says that you will see as you go through, especially the book of Mark, which is very action-packed and scene to scene to scene, you will see that the crowds begin to increase. And when you walk through the streets of these cities, you will, you will see that there's not a lot of room in the cities themselves. So the crowds, if the crowds are growing, if the crowds are coming from all these other places to wherever Jesus is, it means that he's having influence and he is having impact and the impact is happening up here, and less and less of the impact is happening down here. And they're not listening to us, the religious leaders. They're listening to this, this person who calls himself Jesus and does all these miracles and healings and things like that. Now, we need to understand a couple of things. Number one, what's a, what's a Pharisee? If you're new to Bible study, that's a word that we're throwing out like everybody should understand it. It says the Pharisees and the scribes. If you just put religious leaders next to that, you'll hear three, three terms used pretty interchangeably, although they're different. Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes. These are the religious leaders. The scribes do exactly what their name, they're jotting everything down. They're, keep, they're putting the oral tradition onto paper. The Pharisees and the Sadducees are two religious groups that believe very differently from one another. They have some major differences of opinion, but, the, but Pharisees are religious leaders, and they are the individuals whose primary responsibility, when it comes right down to it, their primary responsibility in life is to preserve the scriptures. They are to preserve the law as well as their responsibility is to keep it in front of the people. They're supposed to keep the law and keep the scriptures in front of the people so the people can understand it and the people can apply it to their own lives. So when this started, it started with very pure motives. It really was their spiritual responsibility to protect and preserve the authority and power of scripture and pass it on to the people on an on going basis so that the people could understand it and so that the people could apply it to their lives. But over time, the leadership began to become very self-serving and realize we are the law, we are the religion, we are the authority. And if we can keep the understanding and we, we can keep the understanding to ourselves, we can force the application in any way that we see fit. And what had started out as pure and righteous and holy and intended for the good of the people and the glory of God became very self-serving as they used their knowledge and their position to lord all of that over the people instead of taking a stance, which is what I hope you see in your church staff here at First Baptist Indiana, what our, what our stance should be as leadership to people is a position of servant leadership. I am called by God to lead us in the direction and in the vision that he has for our church, but I am called by God to do so by serving you. And that is what my prayer and my hope is that you see and you sense from your pastor and from your church staff. And if it's not, talk to Karen. <laughs> and she will let me know. 
But it is my prayer and it is my hope and it is one of my greatest desires that this community knows not that just not just that we occupy the campus on land in their area, but my hope and my prayer, even as we walk over there this next Tuesday, my hope is that we exemplify that the testimony around us, that what people are saying about our church is that they are a people of prayer, that they are a people of the word and that they are a people that are serving their community. Because we do honor God with our lips. We should tell people verbally about the difference that Jesus can make in their lives. But if they don't see it in our lives, if they don't sense it in our actions, if they are not receiving it by our service, they won't believe anything we have to say. So may that be the testimony of servant leadership because what is happening right now with the Pharisees, it all started with the intent of protecting and preserving scripture and teaching it and giving understanding it and helping guide the application to their lives, but they've kept it to themselves so that they can lord it over the people and so the application is what they desire and what most benefits them. And so we're watching a transition take place in this story because the religious leaders have come all the way from Jerusalem. They're on a mission and that mission mission is to take on this Jesus and to take him down. Good luck with that. Verse 2, they observed that some of his disciples were eating bread with unclean, that is, unwashed hands. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, keeping the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they have washed. And there are many other customs they have received and keep like the washing of cups, pitchers, kettles, and dining couches. Keep in mind that by this time, there are 613 commandments in the Torah. There are 613 commandments in the Torah And at first we can be overwhelmed and we can almost be offended, but the purpose of the law, let's not forget the purpose of the law. What were we created for from the very beginning? We were created for relationship with God. We were created to be in a relationship with the holy God. We often use the phrase that Christianity is not a religion, but it is a relationship. But what we often project the most, what we often project more than anything is the religiosity of, of what we do. When the bare bones, when the, when the bottom line is God created us for a relationship with him, but he is a holy God. And right after the creation, man fell. Tony talked about it a couple of weeks ago in our midweek time together as we're walking through Genesis. We fell, we sinned, we put a gap between our relationship. We disconnected in our relationship with the holy God and our sin furthers that gap. It widens that gap. And so what did the law do? The law created a way to have a relationship with holy God. And though there seems all these different things that you're like, oh my gosh, I can't do 613 things. That's the whole point. We can't. From the very beginning, we learned the lesson that we cannot earn our salvation. We cannot earn. We cannot work enough hours. We cannot do enough good things. You and I cannot earn our relationship with holy God back, and that's the whole point. He needs us to stop looking to ourselves and keep looking at him. 
But notice, notice something else. It, it, it says that he observed that some of his disciples were eating bread with unclean. Have you noticed the progression? If you've been reading the book of Mark, maybe you started Monday with Mark chapter 1 and now you're at Mark 7. If you'll notice the progression at first, a while back, they didn't say anything to Jesus out loud. They just thought it to themselves. They were disagreeing with him. They were opposing him, but they were keeping it to themselves. And then, they, then when they did start to talk, they started to talk amongst themselves. And then they got a little bolder and they started telling the people what they thought about this Jesus. And now they're actually talking to Jesus, but who are they attacking? They're attacking his disciples. We're not quite ready to go after him yet. So if we can highlight all the flaws in his friends and his students, maybe that'll undermine his authority. If we can point out all the things that they're doing wrong. Here's the deal, folks. There's going to be people out there that see all my warts, all my flaws, all my faults. And they'll be the first ones to tell you. And there might be some people here who know all of them. Julie's off limits. But here's the deal. We can always point to other people and their faults and their failures. But he's holy. And he is perfect. And he is without flaw. That was free. Alfred Edersheim uh, was a biblical scholar. Uh, he was a Jewish convert to Christianity. Uh, and he described the, the washing of the hands. And it was one of those things that I won't go all the way into. But the, the washing of the hands uh, is actually not as rigid. I mean, it is incredibly rigid, but it's not as, as rigid as you might think. It is the, the whole point was very similar to the act of circumcision where it was, it was intended to separate you from the other people. It was about being unclean. Because when they had gone through the marketplace, they had probably interacted with, with pagan nations. They had probably interacted with food that was unclean. And so their hands, and so it was very uh, like if you were watching a doctor show uh, and you see them scrubbing in before where you hold your, your um, hands like this and you let the water pour over. You can't let it pour this way because then the dirty water would then touch your fingers. But as you're doing this and you're cleaning past the wrist and you're making sure and you're kind of doing this with your fist and it's just an incredible process. And the Pharisees would do this numerous times a day before they ate. And I'm just thinking how much time it takes to observe the law. And then I find myself how incredibly grateful I am for grace and mercy. Because I would rather spend my time on this side of life singing his praises, telling other people about him, and getting my hands dirty for the sake of the kingdom. But it's a serious process. And what the Pharisees are looking at, the, the disciples of Jesus, and they're saying, um, have you disregarded uh, Have you disregarded our traditions? Because if you've disregarded the law and you've disregarded our traditions, then you've sinned. Jesus, your disciples, are they're sinning. Danny Aiken says it this way uh, about religious rituals and legalism. He says what the Pharisees are trying to cause is a dependence on the law rather than a personal faith. 
the Pharisees and the religious leaders are trying to create on the people a dependence on the law rather than their own personal faith. Religious rituals and legalism have taken over their lives. They have enslaved them. The law has enslaved them rather than freeing them into the relationship that the law was designed to create. The law was designed to be a conduit to the relationship, not another form of bondage, not another form of oppression. Here they are, the Jewish people, waiting for a Messiah, thinking that the Messiah is supposed to free them from the oppression of Rome, but what God has intended all along is that they would be freed from the oppression of sin, death, and hell that they are keeping upon themselves because they're looking to themselves to save them. And here he is standing right in front of them going, I am here to free you from all of that. He tells us in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, the Spirit, this is Jesus talking, quoting the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to set free the oppressed. I would be foolish not to realize that there are some people in this room and watching online who do not feel oppressed by something in their lives right now. It may be your circumstances. It may be sin in your life. It may be the pressure of others upon you. It may be something that life has thrown at you and you feel tied, you feel bound, you feel oppressed, you feel weighted. And I'm telling you that he came to set free the oppressed. There is freedom in the name of Jesus. And you may need to not leave here today until you have prayed with somebody about that freedom. The thing that God may be saying to you today in this room or online is that you need to allow somebody in and pray over you, pray with you, that you can sense the freedom that God has in store for you. You don't have to be locked in this habit. You don't have to be locked in this sin. You don't have to be locked in and weighed down by the circumstances of your life. You don't have to be weighed down and worn down by what life is throwing at you. There is freedom in the name of Jesus. Let's keep reading. Verse 5. So the Pharisees and scribes asked him, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating bread with ceremonially, ceremonially unclean hands? There's two things to notice here. I've mentioned one of them already. The Pharisees have equated their traditions with scriptural authority. The Pharisees have equated their own traditions with scriptural authority. If you look on our brand new website, which launched this week, if you do fbichurch.net, you will see a brand new website. I'm super excited about it. Oh, Kyle and Davey and all the other team, uh, are, guys, y'all have done a great job. Thank you. But one of our core values you'll read is a never-changing message, but ever-changing methodologies. 
Julie and I were in St. Louis and we were serving a church, a First Baptist Church of Fallon. Julie was serving in women's ministry and in the preschool ministry and I was the worship leader and doing a couple of other different things. And um, we never, I don't think we ever sat together in worship. And we heard about this other church in the area, a church called Windsor Crossing and it was in Chesterfield and right by Windsor Crossing was a Chick-fil-A. So it was like a whole Jesus experience. And they had two services on Saturday and we could either go to the service and then go to Chick-fil-A or go to Chick-fil-A and then go to the service. And, and we got to sit by each other and we got to worship together. And, and one of the sermon series that we got to be a part of was entitled Sacred Cow Tipping. It was one of the greatest sermon series I'd ever heard of. But it was one of those that you were constantly getting your feet stepped on. Because how often have we, and I include we, include me in the we because I've done it too. How often have we put our traditions equal with scriptural authority? Don't get me wrong. Traditions are not bad. Traditions are traditions for a reason. Traditions often remind us of what God did in the past so that we can either avoid the same mistake that we made in the, as we move forward or so that we are constantly reminded of how he provided. Traditions are good things. Traditions are honorable things. Traditions are good things to have. Uh, we have a hanging of the green service that Julie and I have introduced everywhere that we have been. And we love the service because it is traditional. It brings Christmas, Christmas season into our, our church and into our worship center, but I'm telling you right now, it's not on an equal par, on an equal playing field with the power and the authority of scripture. And some of the things that we, you know, this whole idea of, well, we've always done it this way. <laughs> and don't get me wrong. I am not a let's change it just for the sake of change. If it's not broke, you definitely don't want me fixing it. But there is one Bible and there is one scriptural authority. And there is one name upon which we will stand as the church of Jesus Christ. And if there's a new idea that doesn't go against scripture, if there is a new method that we might try for the sake of scripture, for the sake of, of, of advancing the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ, we'll try it. And if something has served its time, we will put it to bed and we will move on. But what has happened here is that they have equated their traditions with spiritual authority, with scriptural authority. And I said it earlier, but they've, they've thought against Jesus. They've plotted against Jesus, but they're going after the disciples. And now Jesus responds in verse six. He says, he answered them. Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites. What's a hypocrite? It's, a, it's actually a character in a play. It's, it's the role that you're playing something different than who you really are. Usually the, the role of a hypocrite is when it's so outside of your normal character. So for me, it would be like playing a super bulked up athlete who's really good with construction and mechanics. That's what hypocrisy is. I'm play acting something that is very clearly not me. 
And Jesus looks at them and says, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you. You are a hypocrite. You are someone who is portraying a character on the stage. You are someone who is pretending to be someone you're not. Here's the deal with First Baptist in the Atlantic. You don't have to pretend to be anything. If you're brand new to this Christian walk, we are so glad that you are here. If you're three months into your Christian walk, we are so glad that you're here. If you have been walking with the Lord for 72 and a half years, years. We are so excited that you're here. Please just be who you are and let God use that for his glory and for your good. Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites. It's written, These, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines, human commands, Again, they're equating their own traditions with the true authority, value, and purpose of Scripture. The, the Hebrew translation of this Isaiah passage reads this. It says, This people draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me. And their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. What is lip service? Lip service is an allegiance that is expressed with words, but it is not backed by deeds. James, the half-brother of Jesus in chapter 2, verse 14 says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? What good is it, brothers and sisters, if with our mouths we express that Jesus is Lord? What good is it, brothers and sisters, if we tell people about the change that Jesus has made in our lives, but when they look at our lives, they don't see any of it? It's no good. It's no good. And when Jesus is looking at these Pharisees, these scribes, these religious leaders, and he's saying, all the right answers are coming out of your mouths. But you are not backing it up with a life that has been transformed by the power of God. And do not hear that the minute you're saved, you are perfect. That's not what it's saying. Scripture in other places says that we are being transformed. It may seem like rote, but I mean the prayer I pray every week that each one of us is more like Jesus when we conclude our time than when we walked in because we've been with each other, because we've been in his presence, because we have opened his word and he has changed us and the lives that we live are more like him than they were even when we walked in just a few minutes ago. Well, Jesus is saying, you hypocrites, you play actors you're saying the right answers. You're getting all the right lines coming out of your mouth, but your lives express nothing that has to do with the holiness of God. What good is it if we just tell our community that we love them? We must also show them, and we show them by serving them. Verse 6, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites. It's written, this people honors me with their lips. Their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching his doctrines human commands. Verse 7, they are abandoning the command of God. You, 
the religious leaders as well as some in the crown. You're holding on to human traditions. You have abandoned the scriptural authority and you're holding so tightly on to these human traditions that keep you in places of power. Verse eight, he also said to them, you have a fine way of invalidating God's commands in order to set up your own traditions. I've said it before, I'm saying it again. Jesus is not necessarily condemning the tradition itself. Remember that that act of washing oneself was a twofold reminder of God's holiness and my uncleanness. God's holiness and my sin and washing my hands after certain interactions, after certain actions. It was a Jewish demonstration. It was a Jewish reminder that they were a part of God's chosen people, that they were a part of God's chosen nation, that they were to be set up apart from all the other pagan godless nations but what had become a good reminder had gradually denigrated into a ritual that resulted in pride and religious isolation i'm doing all this and therefore i am better than you and i am here to tell you that the ground is level at the foot of the cross that there is no one that is first in line and that there is no one that is last in line, that we come to the cross as broken sinners in need of a Savior. Traditions are valuable, but traditions do not take the place of truth. We can never hold on to our traditions in order to ignore or disobey the, the living word of God. Warren Wearsby says it this way. He said, in defending their tradition, the Pharisees eroded their own character as well as the character of the word of God. They were hypocrites whose religious worship was practiced in vain. True worship True worship like we hear about in John chapter 4 when Jesus is talking about talking to the woman at the well and he says that the true worshipers will worship him in spirit and in truth. True worship must come from the heart and it must be directed by God's truth, not man's personal ideas. I don't like every specific song that we sing every Sunday. I don't like all styles of music, but I'm telling you right now, if it is theologically accurate, doctrinally pure, and it points people to Jesus, I'll sing it all day long. We fought these things called the worship wars a year ago where one crowd wanted to hold on to the hymnals and one crowd wanted to get to put the screens behind you. And, and then we were only going to sing this style of music. We were only going to sing this style of music. Well, we're not going to come unless this style of music is going to be sung. Or we're not going to come and we're going to sing unless everybody does this and does that. Who cares? As long as it's theologically accurate, as long as it's doctrinally sound, and as long as it points people to Jesus, let's give up our preferences to point people to Jesus. Let's not hold on to the traditions that we've made. Let's not hold on to our preferences. Let's not hold on to the things that put us a little bit above. Let's come to the cross. Let's come to the cross. Let's come to the cross. Come to the cross. 
And then Jesus hands them another example of their own hypocrisy. From the Ten Commandments, he, he's talking about the honor your father and mother, and then he uses a word called Corban in verse 11, which means anything that's been devoted to God. And what's basically happening is that the, the religious leaders have given them an excuse not to take care of their own parents. Instead of giving their resources and their wealth to take care of their parents, they basically say, we have dedicated our resources to God. Let our parents fend for themselves. But they make themselves look holier because they've dedicated their resources to God. And Jesus is just giving them another example of their own hypocrisy. But keep reading verse 14. Summoning the crowd again, he told them, listen to me, all of you, and understand that nothing that goes into a person from the outside can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And as is often the case, the disciples don't completely understand him. So away from the crowd, Jesus explains to them that nothing going into, person, going into a person, nothing he eats or drinks. Remember, this all started with washing their hands before they ate. Nothing that goes into a person, nothing he eats, nothing he drinks. That's not what defiles a person. Nothing coming in from the outside is what defiles him, for it doesn't go into his heart, but it goes into the stomach, and it's eliminated. And it's at this moment that Jesus is declaring all foods clean. Everything's on the table. And he said what comes out of a person is what defiles him, and we're not talking about food anymore. Jesus started with their own analogy, but he turns it on them, and, go, and now we're on a spiritual playing field. For from within, out of people's hearts, come evil thoughts. What are evil thoughts? Evil thoughts are the plans and schemes that allow for everything else. Out of people's hearts call, come evil thoughts, come sexual immorality. What is sexual immorality? It's anything that is outside of God's will. Thefts, stealing, it's taking something that's not yours. Murders, it's taking an innocent life. Adulteries, breaking the marriage covenant by engaging with someone you are not married to. Uh, greed, coveting, what, want, wanting what somebody else has at their expense. Bobby wears the coolest shirts. I love every shirt that Bobby wears on a Sunday morning. And I like those shirts, but I'm not going to take Bobby's. At least not while he's looking. <laughs> but I wouldn't mind going to the store and getting one like it. But, but coveting, greed is when I want it, but I also want Bobby to suffer because he doesn't have it. Evil actions, wicked behavior, um, uh, in, when you're intentionally wanting to cause someone ill will, deceit, deception, dishonesty, tricking someone for the purpose of harm, self-indulgence. Other translations use terms like sensuality or promiscuity. And basically what that means is shameless living, envy. Another word that is used is stinginess and it reflects a belief that, that God has been withholding his very best and therefore I'm never satisfied. I want what everybody else has because God has withheld from me. God's not provided from me. God has not loved on me like he promised and so I'm never satisfied. Slander is when you speak unbelief or untruth or evil of others or even God. Pride is when you think more highly of yourself
yourself than you ought in foolishness. That's just a senselessness. It's a spiritual recklessness. These are the things that come out of people's mouths, that come out of people's hearts. And all these evil things, verse 23, all these evil things come from within and defile a person. Mark Dever calls this list the fingers of sin. And what does sin do to us? What does sin do to the ones that we love? Sin separates us from a holy God. Sin keeps us from the relationship that we were created to have with that holy God. And sin puts us on a path to spend an eternity apart from God. You see, the Pharisees and the religious leaders were so focused on their own traditions and their own authority that they were missing the very heart of the God they were professing to serve. May we never miss the very heart of God. May the heart of God be so evident in what we say and what we do, how we live, how we act, how we react. May that be our testimony. Here is, here is the thing. That is a hard list to digest. That is a hard list to walk through because the truth is every one of us in this room is guilty of something on that list. And when you are guilty of one, you are guilty of all. And sin separates us. But here is the joy of that list. Everything on that list is forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. For us and for everybody around us. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages, the cost of that sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, his son. The faith, when we face our, the truth of our sin, that is a painful but necessary process. But we don't understand our need for a Savior until we fully understand that we need saving. I talked about freedom. One of the freest places I've ever had the opportunity to visit was Angola State Penitentiary in Louisiana. Angola State Penitentiary for years was known as the bloodiest prison in America. The hardest of the hardened, the worst of the worst, were sent to Angola State Penitentiary. And years ago, the warden, who was a Baptist layman, just attended faithfully his Baptist church. The warden had an inmate that was uh, executed. And Burl Cain was overcome with conviction that that inmate had died and, and Warden Cain had never shared the gospel with him. And so Burl Cain began to pray and began to seek the Lord and, and then thought, what if I started a program for inmates. And he invited New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary to start a certificate program, which eventually became an undergraduate program. And I had the privilege one time of going to their revival, a revival in Angola State Penitentiary. And I got to be honest with you, there is nothing like hearing the gate shut behind you. That sends just a little bit of a shiver through your spine. 
And what happened over time as the seminary began to pour into these students and as these students began to take the gospel to their different cell blocks and their different wings of the prison is that transformation began to take place. And despite the fact that the worst of the worst had committed everything on this list and beyond our imagination, they found freedom in Jesus Christ. And while these men will spend the rest of their earthly, physical lives in those cell blocks and on the campus of Angola State Penitentiary, they are free, free, together they're free because of Jesus Christ. Because they hold on not to traditions. They, they don't have any traditions to hold on to. They hold on to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the change that it has made in their lives. You may be here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You're not free. You can be. And at the end of the service, in just a minute, I'm going to ask Karen to close us in a word of prayer. And after she prays, she's going to say amen and people are going to disperse and they're going to go get their kids or they're going to start heading for lunch. I'm going to stand right here and Karen's going to stand right there and Angela's going to be right there and Scott's going to be right over there. Jim Rogers is right here. Will and Kelly are right there. Cameron and Colleen are right there. We would love nothing more than to tell you about Jesus. And we would love nothing more than to tell you how you can be free. All you got to do is email us if you're watching online. Put a little note in the post-it. Find us on Facebook. Call us the church office when we're open through the week. If you need to know about how to come to Jesus, you may want to be baptized. You may want to use that as an opportunity to tell us about what Jesus has done in your life. You may want to follow in believer's baptism, but you have a lot of questions about that. At the end of this service, we're going to be right here. You don't have to leave. We'd, We'd love nothing more. This may be where you know God has called you to serve. God has called you to plug in. God has called you to be here, to live out, to talk about the gospel. And this is the catalyst from which he's called you to do it. We'd love nothing more than to talk to you about what it means to be a member of this church home. What's the line say, Scott? It's when I'm dead that I'm done. If I'm not dead, then I'm not done. You ain't dead, so you ain't done. Karen, would you close us in a word of prayer? And after she says amen, you'll hear the music start, but we'll be up here ready to talk with you about what Jesus is doing in your life. Miss Karen. Oh, Father. You are awesome. And we are grateful. You are righteous and we're not. God, forgive us of our sins. The words we looked at on the screen or in our Bible. God, forgive us. Forgive us for being envious. Forgive us for being mean. Forgive us for being greedy. Forgive us, Father. Forgive us. So that we might rise from these chairs in this place and go out of here free. God, we want to be free. You make us free. God, I pray for every person in this room that they would reach out today for the freedom that only you can give. 
And just like those men in Angola, Father, we can be free. Father, I pray that we'd all take that step towards that freedom this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed. We'll see you Wednesday night at midweek, or we'll see you next Sunday. God bless you.